It's Christmas! Well, tonight, thank God it's there instead of you. Oh, Christmas Day, my ass. I'm driving home for Christmas. Oh, I can't wait to see those faces. Christmas to you and all. Merry December, everyone. It's the first episode of Merry Britsmas for the merry month of December, and I'm ready to get extra super festive. I hope you're having a super jolly time with mince pies, mulled wine, and many rubbish films which seem to be playing on Channel 5 here in the UK pretty much non-stop. Most of them seem to be named something like a Yorkshire Christmas, or an Irish Christmas, or a Stoke-on-Trent Christmas, and I may have made one of those up. I've got the tree up, I've got festive vinyl playing, I'm wearing gaudy jumpers every day, as well as the Santa's snowmen and elf socks of course. I've made trips to mini Christmas markets and a garden centre, as is tradition here in the UK. The weather's taken a bitter turn to be quite cold at the moment as well, and you may hear from my voice I have a slight cold as well, just to match the freezing weather with my slightly husky voice. But it's time now for more Merry Britsmas chat, and I'm going to ramble about some British covers of a new wave 80s classic, the joy and chaos of school nativities, and a TV movie about a nativity with adult comedians taking on the role of the little kids. I know they aren't strictly British, but I felt the need to talk about the joy and chaos of the primary school nativity, a real big tradition for kids and parents throughout the years here. I myself have appeared in a few festive shows, and seen a few more of siblings. Nowadays, there's lots of cuteness and humour attached to these performances, but they were originally a sombre and serious religious affair. We don't know exactly when people started reenacting nativities, but there are arguments it could date back to the 7th century. Sophronius, a patriarch of Jerusalem, wrote some nativity hymns featuring roles of Mary, Joseph and a narrator. They were most likely sung, but you can see the original idea of characters enacting the events of the Bible. Into the medieval era, we began to see performances more like the modern plays. There's a record of a performance in 1223 by St Francis of Assisi that had to get the permission of the Pope. It was a nativity play in Grecio, Italy. The Italian philosopher, thinker and bishop St Bonaventure wrote of how they prepared a manger and brought hay and an ox and an ass to the place appointed. The brethren were summoned, the people ran together, the forest resounded with their voices, and that venerable night was made glorious by many and light and sonorous psalms of praise. We stood before the manger, the holy gospel was chanted by Francis, then he preached to the people around the nativity of the poor king sounds like a pretty beautiful outside nativity, but post-1300 more Christian institutions such as convents and churches began having their own nativity displays, indoors and outdoors, alongside performances of the events. It's unknown when the first nativity was performed in a school setting as far as I can tell, but the Christian nature and setup of schools in the Victorian era would have meant that biblical events and performances, including the nativity, would have become an important part of the routine and cycle of school life. 
For many, the Nativity is the first opportunity to experience performing and acting, taking on roles such as Mary, a shepherd, a king, an angel, or maybe even some sort of barnyard animal. Quite often, the much-wanted roles of angels and Marys would be hotly contested and argued over by little girls. The babies are always played by some sort of doll, although I think some have used real babies before, but I think that's a troublesome idea. Furthermore, some nativities seeking to get enough roles for everyone often had to add characters or situations such as King Herod and the guards, extra angels or shepherds. In the movie Love Actually, we find out there are going to be lobsters in the nativity. We've been given our parts in the nativity play, <gasps> and I'm the lobster. The lobster? Yeah. In the nativity play? Yeah, first lobster. There was more than one lobster present at the birth of Jesus. Duh. Modern schools also sometimes have more secular or varied performances in order to fit into a world that's less Christian focused, especially with kids coming from a diverse range of backgrounds. Many may think this could lead to a declining number of nativities in schools, but a survey recently found that 50% of schools were putting on versions of the nativity just with updated characters and music. Let's hear from some kids interviewed last year for STV News on their roles and excitement about performing. And this rather funny clip from a fully screened performance for Thames TV in 1980. In Lansdale's 80 degree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be enrolled and all went to be enrolled each to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be enrolled with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. I am Joseph, and I have to go to Bethlehem to be registered. Later on, I have to go to Nazareth to be taxed. But I have to look after Mary. The Romans are saying I must go, so I'll have to get Mary a donkey so she won't have to walk too far. Mary was having a baby, her tummy was big and round. She had to go on a donkey, her tummy was aching. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. When Mary was due to have a baby, Joseph was looking for a stable. Of course they could not afford a hotel, so that's why they were looking for a stable. They were turned down many times. They not set the inn and the innkeeper came out. Joseph asked if there was a spare room for the night and the innkeeper said, no, there's not. There's fun, very tired, now I want some place to rest. It's not far now, Mary, there's a village up here. Let's try some inns. What do you want this time of night? You got a place we can stay for the night, please? No, we ain't, so clear off. Charming. And of course the best ones are where something goes kind of wrong. I remember my brother's one year where he spent a large chunk trying to lift the ears of the donkey in front of him when he wasn't looking, thankfully caught on camera by our giggling dad. Let's end the section by hearing one such chaotic nativity, with a little girl really wanting to show off her voice during the group's sing-songs.
Speaking of nativities, let's head to a televised one from ITV that first aired December 22nd, 1999. The Flint Street Nativity. However, Flint Street School is a fictional primary school, and the kids were actually all played by adult actors and comedians. This special was directed by Marcus Mortimer and written by Tim Firth, who also wrote Calendar Girls, which became a hit film and stage play. He also co-created Roger and the Rotten Trolls, a strange kids TV show about puppet trolls that I loved as a kid, and it won him a BAFTA too. Firth collected stories from family and friends about nativities they'd taken part in, or seen over the course of a decade to help him write the script. Many of them were teachers, so their first-hand accounts were invaluable, and most likely hilarious. The school in the special was modelled on Stockton Heath Primary School, which is where Tim attended and his mom taught. It was actually shot at a school in Cardiff in Wales though. They used an oversized set to make the adults look more childish. It was well received at the time and voted into the top 15 Christmas TV moments in the Channel 4 poll. Despite this, I feel like it's kind of been forgotten about in recent years. It's rarely on TV unless people seem to remember or watch it every year like I do. There was a stage production in Liverpool in 2006 and 2007, but we're focusing on the TV film today. Usually I go through things in quite a lot of detail for this section, but I want to try and not spoil too much about this special because I really love it and I urge anyone who hasn't seen it to seek it out for a watch this Christmas. If you can't find a DVD or priced up version online, well, maybe somewhere that starts with a U and ends with a tube could help. I'll cover the main characters in a few situations though. We have Dervla Kerwin, known for her roles in Ballykiss Angel and Goodnight Sweetheart and a Christmas episode of Doctor Who, called The Next Doctor, as Jay, who is playing the role of Angel Gabriel but really has another role in mind, quite menacingly. Jay, what are you? I'm gonna be Mary. There's also Stephen Tompkinson, also known for Ballykiss Angel as well as Drop the Dead Donkey and DCI Banks, and he plays Tim, the narrator of the story, who's very sweet and eager to please his recently absent dad as he explains. What are you doing? I'm knowing me words. I'm gonna know all my words without looking so as I can show me dad. <sighs> Jay has two associates who I wouldn't really call friends due to how she treats them. There's Dawn, played by Julia Sawalha, best known for her role of Safi in Absolutely Fabulous. She's playing a wise man and getting into conflict with Jay early on. What's her name? Jesus. Oh, but she can't be Jesus. There's already a Jesus. Debbie Bennett is Mary and she's this already is got Jesus. A... But Debbie Bennett? Say hello, Jesus. Debbie Bennett. Say hello, Jesus. Hello, Jesus. There's also Shamima, played by Mina Anwar, known for The Thin Blue Line, and she also appeared in a British retelling of A Christmas Carol in 2000. She's an angel and gets stuck in a friendship triangle when Jay ditches Dawn and takes her away. Is Gabriel an angel? No. It's not an angel, it's the number one angel. Gabriel, it's the boss of all the angels he was. It's the very, very... Let's not talk to Dawn, Shamima. The coveted role of Mary is played by Debbie Bennett, performed by Josie Lawrence, who made her name appearing on the British Who's Line Is It Anyway? But she struggles with her Joseph Warren, played by Jason Hughes. Get lost. No, you've got to have your hair straight. Oh. Joseph wouldn't have had a tatty head. Mary would have said she would have told him, I'm going to have baby Jesus in a minute, you've got a tatty head. My mum's just had a baby and my dad's got a tatty head. But it's not Jesus, is it? No, it's Colin. Well, Jesus is more special than Colin. Another shepherd is Zoe, played by Jane Horrocks, another absolutely fabulous star as Bubble. She also had a critically acclaimed role in the film version of Little Voice. Zoe is the daughter of a farmer and gives lots of animal advice out freely. Right now, look. 
pull him off reins. You don't pull him off reins, otherwise he'd clops. And Miss Humphrey said he's not allowed to clop, otherwise you'd get clopped. He's not a proper donkey. He's a proper donkey. You're not a proper donkey. You've just got a donkey's head. I'm a proper donkey. Chuck him in the bog. I'm a donkey. He's Joseph too old. Chuck him in the bog. Go on. There's you. The kid claiming he's a donkey in that bit is Andrew, played by Mark Addy, a great actor most well known for the full Monty in Game of Thrones as King Robert. And the sneaky boy that keeps saying dares you to people is another wise man, played by Tony Marshall, known for roles in Casualty and Life on Mars. Another odd kid is Ian, playing Herod, as performed by Frank Skinner, a famous comedian and singer of Three Lions Football's Coming Home with his comedy partner David Baddiel. He's as sport-obsessed as he seems to be in real life, hosting an imaginary version of a sports quiz TV staple in this country, Question of Sport, all on his own. Da, 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 Welcome to Question of Sport. John Parrott, pick a number. Ooh, now let's see. Yeah. Number nine. Number nine. Now, John, who's that? How the hell do I know? He's got a hat on. Laugh, laugh, laugh. We think Tiger Woods. Yes, clap. One character that breaks my heart is Adrian the third wise man played by Neil Morrissey, who found fame in the raunchy TV show Men Behaving Badly before becoming the voice of Bob the Builder. In the story, his lisp is revealed, and the other kids aren't so kind. What have you got? What is it? Frankincense. What? Frankincense. Frankincense? Yes. Could you... Chidi, do you want to swap presents? Presents? <laughs> no, I'll, uh, I'll give you my aircraft carrier or 20 pence. <laughs> pence? <laughs> you don't speak proper. Is there something wrong with your mouth? Ask him to say what that is. Say what it is. Dares you. You sound like him in Donkey Head. You sound like one of the special unit kids. Dares you. Are you one of the special unit kids? Get lost! Just get lost! I also really like Christian, the innkeeper, played by the wonderful John Thompson, best known for Cold Feet, and one of the best sketch shows of all time, The Fast Show. He's a dark, sinister child who's oddly obsessed with Debbie Bennett. To some ominous music, he doesn't talk much but makes a card for her in the toy playhouse, sticking sweets and coins and demanding more from another kid. Christian, how come... Your dad can't be Santa Claus cos... If he was, you wouldn't be Christian Jerems, you'd be Christian Claus. Hey, 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 you know what, you know what? I've got something you haven't. See, look, see, it's gone loose when I fell over, and, and that means it'll come out and you get money. No, it's still stuck in. The kid he takes the tooth of is Clive, the star of Bethlehem in the play. He's played by Ralph Little, known for the royal family, Two Pints of Lager and Death in Paradise. As the play begins, more and more chaos reigns, with the kids falling out, getting upset, losing things and their poor teacher, never seen but heard in exasperated tones, struggling to deal with them. We find out things such as the struggles in Tim's home. My dad doesn't sleep in the bedroom. He used to sleep in the bedroom, then he slept on the settee. Now he doesn't sleep at our house at all. 
He's coming tonight, though. I'm knowing my words to show him. Jay's cruel attempts to stop Debbie from being Mary. Do you want another Mary? Mrs. Humphreys! Debbie Bennett, you're soaking. I lost my dove of peace. And Jay said she'd saw it blowing across the playground. And it was all knacked. And I'd get done. Oh, I just found it again. And Christian's anger at the kid playing Joseph in the play. We are very tired and having a baby. Is there any room at the inn? <clears throat> You can come in, but he can bugger off. I don't want to spoil too much more as the special is really great. There's so many funny little interactions between the kids and the amazing cast are perfect at capturing the innocent sweetness and difficulty of childhood. There's also some heartrending moments as they deal with teasing and family issues impacting their school lives. As a teacher, albeit one to older kids than this, it always makes me tear up a little. We also see the parents at the end, played of course by the same actors, kind of revealing why those kids are the way we see them, with all their foibles and upbringing revealed. It's a wonderful bit of old school festive TV and I would love for you to let me know if you've seen it, and if not, watch it and let me know what you think. This holiday season, experience the joy of re-watching the same TV specials you watch every year in podcast form. It's the Advent Calendar House, a salute to all holiday specials, but mostly the Christmas ones. Count down to Christmas Eve with a new episode every other day in December about a different holiday show. From the must-watch classics to the lost treasures at the bottom of the DVD bargain bin. Learn the answers to questions nobody asked, like, when is a magic hat you throw away no longer yours? How many Muppets can fit inside a farmhouse? How did cavemen know about Christmas? Why is Elf making me cry? Subscribe now at adventcalendar.house and get 12 episodes every December. But that's not all. You'll also get 12 more episodes during Christmas in July. Why am I talking like a car salesman? It's a free podcast. It's the Advent Calendar House, a podcast on the internet. It's the Advent Calendar House. For my musical finale of this episode, I wanted to discuss one of my favorite Christmas songs, the new wave 80s blast Christmas Rapping by Ohio-based band The Waitresses. The song was first released in 1981 on a compilation record called Simply A Christmas Record on ZE Records. It also popped up on an EP from The Waitresses in the following year. The song was an unwelcome task for the band from their record label as they were in the middle of touring and it was summer at the time. Chris Butler, the songwriter, was not a fan of Christmas too, but crafted the tune from some unused bits of other songs, and the lyrics actually kind of came from his dislike of the season. Which is ironic as now it's become a Christmas standard banger. The story in the song tells of an ill-fated potential relationship between a lead character and singer, Patty Donahue, and a guy that she keeps missing connecting with, whilst being frustrated with the festive season. 
And of course they finally connect in the end, creating a happy Christmas that you wouldn't miss at last, defying the cynical nature that kicks the track off. It didn't make a dent on the charts at first, but the 1982 reissue got to number 45 in the UK charts. It's actually the highest charting single of the band in the UK to this day. It's an alternative classic, but it's crept into the mainstream more and more over the last couple of decades, with more artists covering it such as the British ones I'm going to share today. First up is one that kind of captures the spirit with added girl power, from the biggest girl group to burst out of the UK, the Spice Girls. The Spice Girls actually had three Christmas number one hits consecutively from 1996 to 98, but none of them were festive songs. Two Become One has a kind of snowy wintry video, but the lyrics are not festive. However, they whacked this cover on the B-side of their third Christmas number one single, Goodbye in 1998. Unusually, the singing is only performed by two of the band, Mel C and Emma B, Scary and Baby Spice respectively, because Victoria Beckham and Mel B were pregnant at the time. The next cover comes from an indie pop duo called Summer Camp, actually a married couple, Jeremy Wormsley and Elizabeth Sankey. The pair put out five albums on Moshi Moshi Records with their fifth album from 2020 called Romantic Comedy, also acting as a soundtrack to a documentary about the genre made by Sankey. But in 2015, they released an EP simply called Christmas. It seems a lot of festive releases aren't too imaginative with their titles. On this five song EP, there are a few originals, including I Don't Want to Wait Till Christmas, as well as two covers, Last Christmas and of course, Christmas Rapping. How about a live performance from some Scottish alternative legends?
like I've mentioned Bell and Sebastian somewhere previously on the pod, but a quick recap of the band who formed in Glasgow in 96 and are led by Stuart Murdoch. They've released 11 albums to date and been critically acclaimed in music circles despite never really breaking through to mainstream fame. But in 2017 they did a live set for BBC Scotland as part of the Key Sessions and shared this cover of Christmas Rapping. And finally, one of my favourite indie bands is Girl Ray, a London trio whose three albums, Trouble, Earl Grey and Girl, are wonderful indie pop records. They've had a couple of Christmas originals, but in 2016 unleashed a cover of this new wave jam we've been hearing about for the last few minutes. And now on to the results of the quarterfinals of the World Cup of the Ghost of Christmas Present. I've been sharing polls on Twitter for you to vote for, some have had quite a few votes, some less so, and there have been some surprising results as in the quarterfinal. The first of our quarterfinals was between the 1984 Christmas Carol, Edward Woodward as the Ghost, versus Carol Kane from 1988 Scrooge, and I thought Carol Kane, being such an unusual, unique and quite popular ghost, would win, but Edward Woodward took it. The second quarterfinal was between the 1935 Scrooge played by Oscar Aish, the ghost played by Oscar Aish that is, versus the 1970 musical version of Scrooge with Kenneth Moore. And my personal favourite of probably most of these, Kenneth Moore won the musical one, so I'm happy to see a musical Scrooge get through to the semi-finals. The third quarterfinal was an animated Mickey's Christmas Carol from 1983 with Willie the Giant playing the ghost of Christmas Present versus the 1999 version with Desmond Barrett as the ghost of Christmas Present. And no surprise here, Disney, the powerhouse that it is winning, with Willie the Giant from Mickey's Christmas Carol going through. And the final quarterfinal was between two more modern versions of the story, the 2001 animated film with Michael Gambon. I'm quite surprised it got this far, to be honest, um, considering it's not uh, one of the biggest versions, but I think Michael Gambon's name is carrying him through, versus the 2019 Charlotte Riley taking on the role, playing the sister of Scrooge in the Peaky Blinders creator's version. It was quite a dark, bleak version. And I was a bit surprised to see that go so far, as lots of people had a bit of dislike of it, but it's finally been knocked out, with uh, the legendary Michael Gambon powering through to the semis, and a bit of a surprise. So, the two semi-finals going up shortly onto Twitter for you to vote for. The first semi-final will be between Mickey's Christmas Carol, Willie the Giant as the ghost, versus the 1984 version, Edward Woodward as the Ghost of Christmas Present. And the second quarterfinal, we're going to have Michael Gambon from the animated version from 2001, versus the musical Kenneth Moore from 1970's Scrooge. 
Hello Christmas lovers and enthusiasts. If you're like me and you're always counting down the days until Christmas, I invite you to listen to Closer to Christmas. Think of the podcast as like a Christmas advent calendar. Each episode that comes out, we get a little bit closer to Christmas, and it's always a surprise as to what the Christmas-related topic will be for that episode. So search for Closer to Christmas on your favorite podcast platform of choice, or head over to anchor.fm slash closer to Christmas. Thanks, and I hope to see you there soon. Another thing I'd like to mention before I go that I forgot to talk about last month is a compilation album that I've recently discovered that was passed along to me online from a man called Kevin McGrath who has worked really super hard to talk out to record labels and bands and find an absolute wealth of original alternative Christmas songs, over a hundred Christmas songs, split into two compilation albums. The first one called Have Yourself a Merry Indie Christmas Volume 1 and the second, Have Yourself a Merry Indie Christmas Volume 2. They're available on Bandcamp for a digital purchase for about £7, or you can pay more. And the most important thing about this, not just that it's an amazing collection of songs, is that it is all for Crisis, which is a brilliant charity that works here in the UK to try and end homelessness. I have uh, worked with Crisis before in the schools I've worked in, uh, doing some donation and fundraising and awareness. And so at this time of year, especially with the weather turning as cold as it is at the moment, um, we need to spare a thought for those people that are without homes, without support systems out in the streets. And um, Crisis do a lot of work around Christmas time and throughout the year to support these people, giving them um, shelter and comfort and clothes and warmth and protection and also things like education and training and supporting getting themselves uh, back on track as well. And so. For a small cost, £7 for each record, you can donate, but also get a massive selection of brilliant Christmas songs from all sorts of artists. Some British, some not so. There are a few uh, brilliant British ones in there that I've loved and I think mentioned in previous years, such as uh, The Christmas Stick by Bubble and Squeak. Um, there's also some amazing songs such as Crocodiles, Christmas in Hell, Vista Blue, always a great uh, Christmas song maker uh, from Nobody Told It With Me It Was Christmas. One of my all-time favourites, which is St Lennox's Christmas Song, a much underrated Christmas song that needs to be heard a lot more. So do get online. I'll put a link to the band camp on uh, the show notes. So if you have a few extra quid this year, put it aside. Give it to Bandcamp to the Have Yourself a Merry Indie Christmas Records and it will go to help people in need uh, on the streets of the UK. So that's the first episode of December. Gone in a flash as much of Christmas seems to these days. But with that in mind, try to take some time to enjoy the little things this season. The crisp cold winter air, the first sip of a hot mould drink, a boy pulling the tuth out of another boy in order to impress a girl he likes in a school nativity. Well, maybe not the last one. We have one more episode this December with even more festive things somehow. The final results of the World Cup of the Ghost of Christmas Present will be there, and also perhaps an extra bonus new British Christmas music pod at some point for your ears. Happy blooming Christmas to you and all.